Yes, and as you're seated, let's go ahead and let's pray a little bit more this morning. So God, we, um, our prayer today is that you would stir deeply within our hearts, oh God, that you would do only what you can do. So God, right now, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take control of my heart and my soul and my mind, and that you would speak to my heart right now, Lord. So um, this is an opportunity for you to pray right now. So right the very deepest issues I may, I may not be aware of, God, I pray that you would just stir through your word right now that I would hear what I need to hear from you, O oh God. So we give this time to you, God. Our desires come under the authority rule of Jesus. So we bring this whole service, this whole time of study, under the authority rule of Jesus, that you would take control of every aspect of what happens here. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So let's say that <clears throat> someone told you they wanted to go see the Taj Mahal and you were going to go with them. <clears throat> you may expect to see something like this, but then when you got there, this may be what you would see. Maybe the most famous painting of all, you wanted to go see the Mona Lisa and you were in Paris and someone was going to take you and when you got there, this is what you saw. You see, sometimes we have expectations. And expectations sometimes can really mess us up. Because we have sometimes high expectations, but then we have reality. And we always talk about this. We talk about this so many times. This is the expectation gap between what I expect and the reality of what I get. So many times, what's so important is my response. That I don't get crushed right here between what I expect and what I get. Let me ask you this morning, have you ever been crushed in that area? Between some expectations that you had and then the reality of life that you live. So many people as they're getting married, they think that marriage is going to fix their problems when in fact it amplifies their problems. That is the expectation gap getting crushed. There are many people right now, you, matter of fact, you may be in here right now and you may be suffering through a bad relationship. Maybe it's not a marriage, maybe it's your job. Maybe it's just that things haven't worked out as far as what you thought God was going to do in your life. And there's this crush. And that's what we're going to talk about today. That's what the scripture leads us to as we go through the study of the book of Acts. And today it's going to show us avoiding the expectation gap crush. Because it's going to hit all of us. There's always going to be that expectation and then the reality. But it doesn't have to crush us. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Before we get to Acts, let's go ahead and prepare our hearts what the scripture says. Look at this. Now we have this treasure, this treasure, this being born again, this Holy Spirit, this relationship with God. We have this treasure in clay. Man, we are fragile. <laughs> our lives are so fragile. Our bodies are so fragile. In clay jars, so that this extraordinary power, that's the power of God, that's inside of these fragile jar, jars of clay, that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. So it makes it very clear right there. This power isn't from us. We are afflicted in every way. But here it is. Man, but not crushed. The affliction is coming from every direction. You feeling that this morning today? 
I mean, this past week, has there been affliction coming from every direction? Has there been crushing pressure? Or have you ever felt that in your life before? And this is what the Bible says. It says we can feel that from every direction, but we're not, even though we have these fragile jars of clay, it doesn't mean that it destroys us, that it crushes us. Hey, we are even perplexed. Man, there's that expectation gap. Man, I, I did not expect this. This is not what we were looking for, but we are not in despair. We are not hopeless. Hey, thank God. We got Resurrection Sunday coming in two weeks, by the way. So what, let's talk about our expectation formation. What forms our expectations we have in life? Well, so many times it comes back from the, the family, the way we were raised, even our cultural biases. What, what I mean by this, we are informed by our culture and by our family, just the way that we're raised, we are informed on what is attractive and what is unattractive, what is successful and what is unsuccessful. And we're, we're more informed by our culture than we even realize Start off looking at the toys and the videos and the cartoons that our children watch and what is beautiful, what is attractive, and what is unattractive. I've never seen an obese Barbie doll. So, so what is, what do we teach? I mean, you know, and all these, these little superheroes that our, our boys play with, it looks like they're all roided up. Well, what is attractive? What is good? What is successful? I will never measure up to that. The models in the magazine. We don't realize how informed we are by our culture. And then our past forms our expectations also. What we have experienced in our past. There's some people say, oh man, if it wasn't for bad luck, I wouldn't have no luck at all. <laughs> well, how are you doing? Oh, I'm just doing fair to middle and that's all I can expect. <laughs> my past has been really hard and so as a result, I have no expectation in my future. Let me ask you something, is that what Resurrection Sunday is all about? To crush your expectations? To make you leave you hopeless? And to think, oh, you know, man, I'm just, I'm just surviving. I'm just trying to get through this world, you know? Let me tell you something. This is not the least. Matter of fact, I would say the theology would overflow all of that. They would overpower our family, cultural bias, our past, everything. If we've got good theology, now you may be sitting here this morning saying, man, I don't want to study theology. You're doing it right now. Theology is a study of God. Theos, God, ology comes from logos. That's a study of God. I mean, my, my desire for you is that every Sunday that you guys come in here every week, the reason we go verse by verse through the text, the reason I'm not preaching you a bunch of series on having better relationships and all that, well, that's all great, but the reason we go verse by verse through the text is because I have a conviction to teach you the word of God. And that you come, man, listen, some of you, you went all the way through the Gospel of Mark with me. You went all the way through the Philippians with me. And now we're going to go all the way through Acts. Man, look at this. We are burning it up, man. We're, we started in January the 1st. We're already to Acts chapter 4. <laughs> so, good theology that is applied theology because I can have good theology and I can be emotionally immature and that will not do me any good. But if I'm applying the good theology, then here's what I've learned, dear friend, listen. It changes everything. I know what to expect from God. I know what to expect from myself. And I know what to expect from other people. That's what good theology informs me of. And that keeps me from getting all sideways 
with God, all sideways with myself, all sideways with other people, and all sideways with the church. Because there's a bunch of messed up people in church in case you haven't figured it out yet. So how did these guys, how were they, what we see this morning as we go into our text, what prepared them for this expectation gap, not crushing them? Well, here's what I would say, Acts chapter one. We're gonna start in chapter four in just a moment, but let's back up and look at where, where did they come from? Here's what they were doing. It says that they were continually united in prayer. How would you like to be in a church that was continually united? We're not gonna say prayer. Let's just say continually united. How about that? Would you like to go to that church? I would. How much more to be continually united in prayer? Listen, I say this over and over, and I will say it again this morning. It all begins and it ends with prayer. You want to know what you care about? Well, I can tell you right now, what did you pray about this morning? And that's what you care about. Prayer changes everything. I cannot overemphasize how important prayer is in your life. You parents for your children, you grandparents for your grandchildren. It is essential. So did Jesus help us with the expectation gap? He absolutely did. Here's what he says. John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus said, I've told you these things so that in me, in, in me, in Christ Jesus, in your relationship with me, you may have peace. I see where you have peace, it's in Christ. You will have suffering in this world. Wait a second, you mean, you're, you're, you're telling me that if I don't go home and take good care of my house, I mean, I've, I've been told that if I go home and take good care of my house, that God's gonna bless me and I'm gonna get a better house. If I take good care of my car and I wash it and keep it real clean and maintain it, that God's gonna give me a better car. That if I go to, to work and I have a positive attitude and I think talk about everybody how great I am, that I'm gonna get a promotion at work, that I'm gonna bless my best life now. That's what I've been told. But that isn't what Jesus says. Jesus says, you will have suffering in this world regardless of how good you think you are. Regardless of how religious you say you are, you will have suffering in this life. But be courageous, exclamation mark. <laughs> I have conquered the world. See, that's what Resurrection Sunday is all about. Amen. Victory over sin, death, and the grave. He is victorious our greatest enemies. He has already won the victory. And when we're in Christ, we live in that victory. It doesn't have anything to do with my house and my car and my job, the way I look or anything else in this world has nothing to, that is not blessed, by the way. Blessed is my relationship in Jesus. That's where my blessing is. That's where my favor is. It's found there, because that is eternal. All this junk it's going to come to an end. If I put my hope in this world, I will be crushed. Here's what Peter says. We're going to read Peter and John. They're about to get thrown in prison for preaching the gospel. Here's what Peter says later on. He says, dear friends, don't be surprised when you find yourself in a fiery, man, listen, when you find yourself heated up and the fire is burning, you're right there in the crucible. Don't be surprised. The fire ordeal that comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. 
Because see, if I got bad theology, then I think that if I misbehave, then that's why bad things happen to me. Or I think that if I'm not good enough of a Christian, then that must be why I'm not being blessed and having all these wonderful things here and now. As if something unusual. So you should be expecting trials, hardships in this life, in this world. Instead, rejoice. As you share in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. Look at that, the joy is found in the suffering in Christ. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed. (laughs) Not when you get promoted, not when you get the nice car, not when you get the nice job, house, whatever it may be, the nice things, that's not where where you're blessed. Listen, when you suffer for Christ, the Bible says that's when you're blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Look at this. In fact, all who want to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So what the Bible's telling me that if I'm going to be in line with Jesus, then I'm going to be out of line with this world. And this world's going to be upset with me, and this world is going to be mistreating me if I'm really in line. Hey, listen, if all the world is smiling and patting me on the back and everybody's saying, hurrah, you're the greatest thing in the face of the earth, then I must not be in line with Jesus. Because, listen, let me tell you something. If we are going to take a stand against sin, then that is going to offend people. If we take a stand for righteousness in Christ, then that will offend religious people. Religious people don't want to hear about sin. Religious people don't want to hear about hell. Religious people don't want to hear about about sanctification in Christ. Religious people want to hear about how good I am. Make it all about me, man. That's what I want. Me, myself, and I, and I'm going to like you then. So here's why Jesus tells his disciples to get them ready so that the expectation gap doesn't crush them. He says, they will ban you from the synagogues. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he's offering a service to God. They will do these things because they haven't known the Father or me. So here, let's get to our primary text this morning, Acts chapter 4. Peter and John, God has healed the lame man by the gate beautiful through them. A crowd comes rushing in. Peter preaches the gospel, says, hey, we didn't do this. This was done by the name of Jesus Christ, by the power and the authority of Jesus. This man is healed and walking. While they're still speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, police, and the Sadducees confronting them. Here's what you have to say about the Sadducees. The Sadducees were the ones who were in charge of everything that happened at the temple. They were over the temple police. They were over everything. The Sadducees were the wealthy religious liberals of their day. So they were in line. They were in cahoots with Rome. They had no problem with Rome overtaking them because what Rome did is Rome came in and said, hey, listen, you keep the religious rolling, the religious stuff rolling because when you keep the religion rolling, you keep the money coming in. So the Sadducees, they didn't believe in Life after death, they didn't believe in the resurrection and they didn't believe in the Messiah. They believe in God? As long as you keep coming and bringing your money, we believe in God. That's what the Sadducees believed in. Now the Pharisees get a bad rap, but let me tell you something, the Pharisees, they were much more on the fundamental side, and they, they, they had their part in this, they messed up too, but the Sadducees, 
They were the ones that were really running the show here, and they were all about making money and all about having comfort and right here and right now. So that's who's in charge of the temple. It's the Sadducees. They're old. Listen, the Sadducees, if they decide that anything that you did wrong, they could, they could get you right then, and they had Rome backing them. Because they were annoyed. And listen, this is a, a weak, in our, our vernacular day, annoyed really isn't a good, good way of putting this, because they really weren't just annoyed. Because annoyed is something that's kind of minor for us. I mean, the, the Greek word right here means that they were greatly disturbed that they were teaching the people, proclaiming Jesus, in Jesus, proclaiming in Jesus, the resurrection of the dead because they didn't believe in the resurrection at all, much less that Jesus had resurrected from the dead and that this man that now was walking was because of the resurrection from the dead. So they seized. Epibalo is a Greek word right here. You might remember those of you who went through Mark with me Every time that Jesus cast out demons, the Greek word was ekbalo. Balo means to throw, ball, throw. And so epibalo, so let me just give you, there's no good English translation here, okay? But there's a good country boy translation. And here's what it is. They tackled them. So when they came in, it wasn't they just came in and grabbed them by the back of their wrists and said, okay guys, come on, you can't do this. The word comes in with force that when they come busting in and they grabbed a hold of these guys, that it was a big, I mean, everybody, everybody backed up because what they were doing is they were flexing their muscle right here. So when they took them into custody until the next day, so what does that mean? That, that means they spent the night in prison since they were already evening. And what, what this means about evening, so just want to let y'all know, last week I caught some grief in my home group about preaching too long. So what this means is, is that they preached about three hours. So according to context right here, my sermons are not long, thank you. <laughs> so here's what Peter says right here to years later, at this guy that got you know, unjustly arrested, thrown in prison, all the persecution, all the stuff he goes through, here's what Peter says later. Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor or to the supreme, who is a, as a supreme authority. He didn't say agree with them, he just says submit to them. Or to the governors, as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. For it's God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. Honor everyone. Love the brothers and sisters. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Now, does that mean that we always go along with everything the government says? We're going to see in just a moment that Peter doesn't go along with everything they tell him, but he does show them honor and respect. But, and that's, uh, this is the key little phrase right here. This means everything changes right here. Even though they're getting arrested, even though they spend the night in jail, this little conjunction right here, but many of those who heard the message believed and the number of men, so this is not including women and children, came to about 5,000, so roughly, roughly anywhere between 10 and 15,000 people then came to faith in Christ because God healed this lame dude and they proclaimed the gospel. And when they heard that three-hour sermon, 
Maybe that's what we start. We need some new three-hour sermons. Maybe that's it. When they heard that three out, they're like, I am believing that Jesus is a Messiah. He is God. He is raised from the dead and that I in him can now live in the kingdom of God. It isn't about me being Jewish. It's about me being in Christ. That I can live in the kingdom. This salvation is about me being saved from my sin, from death, grave, and from hell. I believe in that. Oh, there's a bunch of excited people running around. All saved. The next day, their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and all the members of the high priestly family. After they had Peter and John stand before them, they began to question them by what power and in what name. What power and in what name? Now, see, here's the interesting thing is that in their day and their time that there were exorcists and whenever they would, they would exorcise demons out of someone, they would use the power of a name. You might, matter of fact, we'll see this as we go through the book of Acts. There's some people who are not in Christ that actually use the name of Christ to perform exorcisms and it backfires on them. So when they say by what power and what name, they're asking about what authority are you doing this thing? Now, here's what happens. What they do to Peter and John is they take a big old softball and they just pitch it real soft up there in front of them. And man, Peter's fixing to knock a Grand Slam home run. He ain't going to back off. He ain't going to back down. If you're going to throw that thing out there in front of him, he's going to swing at it. Here's the interesting thing, though. Here's what you have to say. Once again, we struggle with our Greek to English translation because if you're reading this in Greek, the last two words are not done this. The last two words, tatahumeus, that means this you. Done comes third, because this you. So why the translators, why couldn't they translate this? Because this is a very negative connotation. This would be like one of us saying, what are you thinking by doing this? That would be our way of translating that. How on earth could you do, what are you thinking? So, when they say this in this negative connotation, they're like, how on earth can you do something so far-fetched and so crazy right now? Now, what's the problem? The problem is that they are in Jewish headquarters, Jewish religious headquarters, and they are preaching Christ, Christianity. Jesus raised from the dead. I mean, like, of all places, go anywhere else, and you're not going to get this kind of friction, but they're right there in religious headquarters doing this. I mean, it's like, are you wanting to get arrested? Is that, is that your goal? Then Peter, I thought he was always filled with the Holy Spirit. No, he was baptized with the Holy Spirit at the point of salvation, but you're not always filled. You need to get filled. Listen, you're leaking. I don't know if you know that. We, we just got through reading there about the, 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 cha- the, 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 the jars of clay. You're leaking. It's always leaking out. You need refilling all the time. We all do. But here he is, he's at this point where he is filled with the Holy Spirit. And he said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what means he was healed? Sozo is a Greek word, interesting thing there in Greek. Also, once again, he has all kinds of Greek words for being healed, but he uses the stem word for salvation, sozo. Let it be known to all of you and to all these people in Israel that by the name, the authority power of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, 
Man, you didn't pull any punches, doesn't sugarcoat, not trying to make him feel good, not trying to say, please don't get mad at me. Whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man is standing here before you. Remember, this is about 50 to 55 days earlier. These same people crucified Jesus, had him crucified. These same ones, he's standing from. You remember that? I mean, it was just a few weeks ago what you did? Oh, well, well, that's how this dude's standing here before you today. Key, he's making sure you're seeing that. He has never stood before anybody. He's standing here today. This Jesus is a stone rejected by you builders, you religious leaders, the one that God has left in charge to be building the religious system here in Israel. You builders, you rejected this stone, which has become the cornerstone. The cornerstone is the one that was laid first. All the other stones were lined up and built according to the cornerstone, the most important stone in the whole building. Jesus is the cornerstone, the most important aspect of everything. There is salvation. I want to show you this right here. Soterion, soterion right here. So if you went to Bible college or seminary, you studied um, theology, and you studied salvation, you would study soteriology. That's where this word comes from right here. It means to be, listen, it means to be rescued and preserved from danger. Rescued and Are you hearing me, church? Preserved. It ain't just getting you out and hope you better stay out. It's keeping you out, too. So there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name. Now come back to that name once again. No other. There's no other name. Power and authority under heaven given to people, which by we must be. And there's the, the, the key word right there, sozo, saved. That stem word right there that soteriology comes from. When they observed the boldness of Peter and John, so the religious leaders, they never, no, no, no. Back up. They've only heard one other person speak to them like this. And you know who that was? That was Jesus. Now his followers, see because we as followers of Christ, our goal is to become more and more like Jesus. So near that, we've got his followers, the boldness that they're showing. So why are they bold? Here's why they're bold. They're bold because they're in a new kingdom. They're in the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God, they're not afraid of the kingdom of this world. These, these, the Sanhedrin there before, that's a very intimidating thing. I mean, back in this, this building would be a circular room that they were in. And you had 70 of the most powerful men in their culture sitting around them up in an elevated way, looking down at them, judging them. He's not afraid at all because he is in the kingdom of God. He does not fear them. What's the worst that they can do to him? Oh, kill him? Well, you know what killing means. That means graduation day for me. That's the way Peter looks at it. So he's not afraid of them. So he just stands up there. And listen, he is more afraid of God than anything. He is more fearful of the fact that what God has done for him and what he feels in his heart that he is, his responsibility to God is, that's what the driving impact of his life is. Not what some man or some council or some worldly figure says about him or can do to him. 
So they observed the boldness of Peter and John. They realized that these were backwoods, uneducated, un and untrained men. They had no formal theological training. So I've got a Bible right here. On the cover of this Bible right here, that's not my name, by the way. It says C.H. Spurgeon. How many of y'all heard of him before? Ever heard of C.H. Spurgeon before? Prince of Preachers. Man, I mean, there's volumes and volumes and volumes. He started pastoring his first church when he was 19 years old. Oh, by the way, you know what that means? He had no formal theological training. He had high school education, is what we're about here in America. Oh, another theologian that some of y'all may have heard of, A.W. Tozer. Very famous. No formal theological training, high school education only. So, I mean, hey, listen, I'm not saying that theological training is not important. It is vitally important. But what I'm saying this is this not the end all. Because let me tell you something. There is something that Bible college and seminary cannot put in a person, and it is grit. When a, when, a, when a person has got grit running through the circulatory system of their, whole, of their spiritual self, that is the most important aspect of a person who is going to serve God. It is grit. No theological training can do that for anybody. And that's what I see in these two men right here as they stand here on this day. That's what I see as I see grit. That's what that courage, where that courage comes from. Uneducated, untrained men, and they were amazed, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So there's the best training of all, three and a half years walking with Jesus Christ. I mean, what better education could you get than that? And since they saw the man who had been stand, healed standing, there it is, key, <laughs> he's not just sitting over there, he's not on the mat, he's not on the stretcher, he is standing, never done that in his life before. They all saw him every time they went to the temple. He was at the beautiful gate, he was in the sweet spot, he had the best location, everybody had seen him, and now he's standing with them. They had nothing to say in opposition. They couldn't say like, ah, oh, you didn't really heal him. Okay, then explain this. How's he standing here? And they ordered them to leave the Sanhedrin. They conferred among themselves, saying, now, you know, what should we do with these men? For an obvious sign has been done through them. Hmm, so interesting. They got their theology right, because these, listen, Peter and John didn't do this. God did this. Jesus did this. Clear to everyone living in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. That's why God healed this one man. A few weeks ago, we were like, why did he heal this guy? This is why, because everybody saw him. Everybody knew him. It was a clear sign. No one could deny it. But so that this does not get out of control, these fanatics Let's threaten them because that's what the devil always wants to do. The devil always wants to get you scared. Yep. And that you, are you hearing me, church? I, I, I would go do that, but I am terrified to get up in front of people and talk. I'm terrified to share my faith with somebody. I mean, what, what if I went and told them about Jesus and they rejected me? Fear. Well, what, what if in the workplace, what if I spoke up and, 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 and they got mad at me for talking about my faith at work? Well, what about my family members, man? What about them? I know they're lost, but if I go and start, they, they may 
kick me out of the family for talking about Jesus. Fear. Let me tell you something. If you truly are under the kingdom authority rule of Jesus, then there is not anything that any man can do to you. You can't get kicked out of anywhere, anything, because you're always in. You're in the kingdom of God. You, listen, no man can kick you out of the kingdom of God. No man can kick you out from under the authority rule of Jesus. That's what you choose. That's your choice. And when you're there, oh, listen, you, listen, you know what Jesus told the disciples? When you get there, you're arrested and you're up front, don't worry about what you're going to say. I'll give you the words to say. The Holy Spirit will give you what you need when you get there. That's why they're not afraid. So let's threaten them against speaking to anyone in this name again. It always comes back to the name. I don't know if you're seeing this. It's over and over and over again. So they called for them and they ordered them not to speak and teach at all in the name of Jesus. Get out of here and don't ever talk about Jesus again. That's simple. Peter and John answered them, hey, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than God, you decide. <laughs> Can you imagine that? I'd like to see the look on their faces when Peter said that. What Peter's saying is that he's accusing and said, God's already told us. We've already seen this. This is something that we have seen. So if you're going to tell us not to go proclaim what we have seen, then you tell me, is that right or wrong? Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan, you know John Bunyan, you know the story, I mean, you know the book, one of the most famous Christian books of all time? You do realize he wrote that from prison. He spent over 20 years in prison. His wife, listen church, and his blind son were practically starving to death at home. So they came to him and they said, listen, said, we'll let you out, you go do your tinkering out there, you go make a little more money so your wife and your poor little kid can be better off. But one thing, you leave this prison cell and you don't preach. He said, you let me out of this prison cell and he said, tomorrow I'll be preaching. He said, you leave me in here until moss grows over my mouth and my eyes and I, but you let me out and I will go tell everybody what God has shown me. Can you imagine that? His family suffered. Is that strong conviction? Is that grit? And here's what Peter says, for we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen. You it's impossible. You can tell, I mean, I, I'm not gonna make that promise because I know I can't keep, I'm gonna, I, this is what I've seen. They saw Jesus crucified, buried three days later pops in the middle of the room with them, says shalom, let's have something to eat, sits down there, and he eats with them. You can't get over that. Maybe you've never heard of this guy. I'd never really heard about him until this past week when I was studying this. Peter Carbright, he's a backwoods preacher, the Lord's plowman, Lord's breaking plow. You know he must have preached hard if he got those kind of names, right? Well, he's, he's preaching one time, and President Andrew Jackson shows up. He's heard about this guy, and he was rough. I mean, man, this dude was, you talk about, he preached hard, did not sugarcoat anything. So his deacons come to him, and they said, they said, listen, they said, 
President Andrew Jackson is listening today. So listen, don't be so hard. Just, just soften it up. Don't yell so much and don't talk about sin. Let's don't hurt his face. Don't offend the president. He gets up and walks out there. This is how he starts his sermon. He says, I've been told that I need to curtail my sermon today to be careful what I say. So I just want to start off, introduction, here's my, to start off this morning, here's what I want to say. Unless Andrew Jackson repents, he will spend eternity in hell. <laughs> Everybody's shocked. <gasps> you know, they're looking over everything. When it's all said and done, Andrew Jackson goes to him, shakes his hand, says, dear sir, <laughs> he said, if I had a group of men like you, I could whip the world. After threatening them further, they released them. They found no way to punish them because the people were all giving glory to Peter and John. Then what it says, does it? This is how you know God done something. No man is getting built up. No man is becoming the man. No man is like, wow, he is great. No, they are giving glory to God over what had been done. That's how you know when God has done something. It's not about a man. It's not about a church. Let me mean that. It's about what God has done. It's about him and his glory. For the sign of healing had been performed on a man 40 years old. That is pretty amazing. So when I have unmet expectations with God, the first thing I got to do is got to ask, are we patiently enduring and praying? Are we patiently enduring and praying? I'm going to ask you that this morning. So, why did Jesus say that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy? Is that an allegory? He's just trying to get you to be a good person? Now, allegorically, you know, what the devil wants to do is he just wants to just get your children where they won't want to go to church. Then why does he say steal, kill, and destroy? Let me tell you something, parents. The devil wants to do. He wants to destroy God's image in your children. He wants to rob them of their sexuality. He wants to totally pull them out of God's calling and purpose for their lives. Any way that he can destroy, that's what he's out to get. Those are the top three things that the devil's out to do in your children's lives. So it's not an allegorical thing to where it's like, oh, you better straighten up and be a good person. No, this is the serious spiritual thing that you are up against. Why you need to be praying for your children. So what is the buffer between that and your children? Well, it's the grace of God and it's your prayer life. Are my expectations in line with God's word and with his will? And if I don't know God's word, I'm not going to know his will. If I don't know his word, then I'm not going to know if my expectations are right. Did we just read a while ago what my expectations should be? That in this world you're going to... Hard times are coming, aren't they? So don't be surprised by that. There it is. There's, there's, what I, there's one of my expectations right there. Do I or anyone involved have unrepentant sin? Let me tell you something, church, because I hope this ne- that you never see us do this. 
I made the mistake early on in my ministry whenever another ministry leader in the church wanted to walk away and I talked him into staying. And we experienced hell on earth in the church until finally he left. And when he finally left, then years later I found out that he was living in unrepentant sin and it was eating him up and he was lashing out at everybody around him trying to get out of his leadership position and I would not let him out. So there may come a time and a day when you see, you know, why did they just let that person go so easily and so quickly? Because I learned my lesson. I don't ever fight to try to keep somebody in when they're trying to get out. Because there may be unconfessed, unrepentant sin that I don't know anything about. And here's what I know. Listen, listen. If you want to be a part of a church that is thriving, then you need to be praying for your leadership. We are all one bad choice away from a train wreck. There's no guarantee I won't go off the rails this week. You know, who knows? But man, listen, let me tell you something. Everybody that moves into a leadership in the church, they become a bigger target for the enemy. The enemy wants to knock off everybody in leadership because that messes it up for all of us. Are we considering everyone's eternal best, not my best life now? That's a heter- that book is so full of heresy. Uh, you may have got it and you may have read it and this may, it may hurt your feelings every time I say that and that's not my intention of saying this. But I want to tell you something. Anytime anybody makes anything all about us, that's where it's wrong. And it's a great self-helps book. But a little bit of God sprinkled in it here and there. But man, when it's sold off as a Christian book, that's when it's dangerous. So avoiding the expectation gap, crush. You will never, you will never avoid the expectation gap, but you can avoid the crush. So... Melissa and I have experienced the expectation gap. Her dad went in for surgery, and he was doing so good. He was, he'd, he'd, been, he'd been in a wheelchair, and it got to where he was starting to walk again. And he was going in for some surgery, and this surgery was going to make his quality of life better. He was looking forward to going swimming in the swimming pool and their, were, were in their um, complex where they're living this summer. That was his goal, to get in the swimming pool. So he was doing better, and he went in for surgery. Melissa was there for the surgery. And um, after the surgery was over, everything went good, and she came back home. And whenever she got home, her mom called and said, you need to get back here right now because your dad stopped breathing. So we got in the car. We went back. It was about, it was in McKinney, the hospital in McKinney, and we got there about 1130 at night. And when we got there, he was just hanging by a thread, and he passed away about 1215 in the morning. Our expectation was that he was going to be better. We expected him to live through it. But God had other plans. And so, although we mourn, but we don't mourn without hope. And here's the thing that we know. 
is that we bathed it in prayer. We prayed and we prayed and we asked many of you to pray. So when you pray like that, then you get the results. Even if they're not the results that you expected, then you know it's the results that were best for everybody's eternal bests. So we can't question God and his sovereignty and say, God, you didn't know what you were doing. How could you allow this to happen? God knows what we need, not what we want. So yeah, we mourn, but we're not crushed. We're pressed from every side, but we're not crushed. And we thank God for that. We have hope. Jesus is victorious over sin, death, and the grave. Would you please stand this morning? So let's just start working our way through a few things here this morning as we pray. If you want to come down here, if you want to pray at the altar, feel free to do that. So right now, you may be getting crushed And I'm asking you this morning, are you patiently enduring and praying? What is crushing you right now? Is there something that you were expecting? And the reality is so different. So do you believe that God is good this morning? Do you believe that even in the suffering that he is doing something good in your life? So John the Baptist, Jesus said he was the greatest man born of a woman. John the Baptist, whenever he was thrown in prison, he was about to be beheaded, he asked his disciples, he said, go to Jesus and ask him, are you really the one? So Jesus said he was one of the greatest men who ever lived, and he struggled with the expectation gap. He was getting crushed. So don't feel bad this morning if it's crushing you. But are you praying? So right now, God, here's what I would would advise you to do. Pray this. Whatever it is that's crushing you. So right now, this marriage, this job, this relationship, my health, my finances, I bring it under the kingdom, authority, rule of Jesus right here and right now. 
Jesus, I ask you to reign and rule over this in my heart. Hey, is somebody right now driving you crazy? Then God, help me to think rightly about and fill in that blank. It begins with my thought life. I think about them. Maybe you are just undone this morning over some things that have happened in your life. Can you bring those to God and say, God, just I want to bring this under the authority rule of Jesus. They will not rule me, but that Jesus would reign and rule over my life and over the way that I respond to this. God, would you help me to fall out of love with this world? Can you pray that? God, can you, would you help me not to give so much of my heart and my affections to worldly things? Stir my affections for you, oh God, for Jesus. So you parents, let's pray for your kids for a moment. So God, I bring, name them off right there in your mind right now, under the authority rule of Jesus. God, I ask you to protect your image in their lives. God, I ask for hedge protection around their sexuality. God, I ask for hedge protection around your calling and purpose for their life. I ask you to protect them from the evil one and evil people who'd want to destroy these things in their lives. God, I ask you to surround them with godly people throughout their whole life who will pray for them, who will encourage them, and people in whom you can use to guide them to your calling and purpose over their life, oh God. Maybe this morning is the first time you've been back in church in a long time. Maybe church people have hurt you. Maybe it was a pastor. Maybe it was a church leader. Maybe it was just other people in the church. So God, I ask you to help me to forgive and fill in those blanks right there. Those people who hurt you in church, those church people, help me to forgive, oh God. Just as you have forgiven me, Grant me forgiveness, oh God. God, help me with my unrealistic expectations of church people. Help me to look to Jesus as my source, as my all in all instead of a preacher. And instead of church leaders and other people, help me to grow in my relationship to Jesus. Some of you need to pray and ask God to help you grow in your relationship to your wife, to grow in your relationship to your husband, your children 
and to your parents. There's someone there that you need help with in that relationship. So God, stir in my affections for, and you just fill in the blank right there. So God, I pray for all of us that you would help us with our false expectations in this world and help us to grow in our true, good, theological expectations of you, our relationship with you, your expectations of us, our expectations of other people, and even our expectations of ourselves. So grow us in this, O oh Lord, as we walk out of here today. So God, we pray for the mission team right now. As they're making their way back out of Mexico, we pray for safe travel. We thank you, God, for all that you've done this past week in and through them. We pray for safety as they come home today, God, that you would just help them to get home safely, oh God. So I pray this in Jesus' name. You may be seated. Okay. Um, speaking of the Wamave missions team, I'm so excited that uh, David mentioned them in his prayer just then, you guys. I wanted to give you guys an update because they are going to be traveling home today. So um, the, I feel naive at times. I know some of you will giggle because when they were talking to me about um, them coming home, their original plan was to leave first thing this morning. Here's why, because that's usually when the cartel is sleeping because they're up all night. Um, but their plans changed, and actually about this time, there is a time zone difference. Um, Tim Gandy is actually leading service at a church there, so they ended up changing their plans, and they are staying through the morning. But the reason why that's even more dangerous is because they won't leave until about 3 to 4 o'clock this afternoon, which means that that puts their 5 to 6 hour drive to the border later than they originally expected. So absolutely, just like David said, you guys, Please be praying for this team as they are traveling. Their plans did get changed for the glory of God, of course. And, um, and if you have missed the updates that we have been posting on our Facebook page, I would really encourage you to go back and look. Uh, Matt Parker, Parker over at the Crucibles Fire, he's been keeping us updated. We've been sharing those updates. That is a great thing for you to watch with your kiddos. There's great footage that they're showing. If you want to try to help remove some of those blinders that we can have some time about the comforts that we do have here in America. And so that is a great uh, tool for you guys to use and then to please keep me praying this afternoon. And we will update you guys when they safely get to the border. And of course, I am so excited. We have lots of announcements because just like he said, two weeks from today is what everyone? That's right. It's Easter, and we have so many great, exciting things happening, and I just want to real quickly go through them. If you want more details, always it's on our social media pages. We'll be sending out updates in Realm, but we are having an Easter extravaganza this Saturday, the 27th, here at the church, and of course, we really appreciate all the eggs that I see out in the front foyer, but we're needing more. We expect lots of kiddos, especially in our community that aren't here on a regular basis because we're doing the best thing ever, serving food. So there will be breakfast here, you guys, for the kids, for their families, and of course with free food, with all the fun things that we're having that brings in a lot of people. So we wanna make sure we have lots of eggs 
so that we can use that as a tool to minister and spread the gospel about Easter, you guys. And so eggs, we will put a basket out in the on the front porch so you can be dropping those filled Easter eggs. Thank you for those of you who already dropped some off. And we'll get ready and geared up for that this coming Saturday. Also, Friday night, if you are wanting an opportunity to outreach, I know we've been talking about Wamave, but you guys, there are opportunities here. There are opportunities in your home, on your streets. And right now, one of the ones that we're going to be leading as a church is on Friday. We have a community outreach event where we have some really great door hangy thingies, and we are going to be going into our community, inviting them to all of these events that we have, to the Easter extravaganza on Saturday, and of course to Easter Sunday. And probably my favorite Easter announcement, you guys, that I want to make sure you are aware of, is on Easter Sunday, we are having baptisms. We have already had a handful of people come forward saying that this is what they want to do, and if you are somebody who is wanting to get baptized, then please reach out to one of the elders myself, really stop anybody. If they don't know who to talk to, they'll find somebody. And you can email, of course, too, and we'll get you the information. Because if that's something that um, you would like to do, we want to celebrate with you, especially on Easter Sunday. What a cool day to do that. I'm looking at my list. That was a lot. The last thing I want to make sure you guys know, um, our women's ministry, we took a two-week break on Wednesday nights, but we're starting back up this Wednesday, and we're having finger foods and fellowship. And some of you have been hesitant. You've told me to come because you're afraid that you're going to interject in the middle of a study. The way we're doing it, you guys, any time that you can come in, you're going to enjoy the time and the fellowship, and you're going to learn something. You're not going to be in the middle of a video series and a book that you feel lost on. And so if you are wanting to come and visit, Wednesday's a great time for you to start because we're going to be having food. You can tell. That's my favorite thing. So um, you guys, all of those things, they are on our Facebook page, and um, they are coming out through Realm. And if you have any questions, please do let us know because we want you to feel connected and we want to celebrate with you guys. So if you guys will stand, we will go ahead and we will close in prayer. And David, we close this in prayer. Yeah, so Father, we thank you, God, for your goodness and your grace. We thank you for your mercy. I thank you for each person that's here this morning, oh God. Father, we... Um, as we uh, lift up the mission team to you, we pray if we do continue to pray over them, the service, and Tim as he's leading it. God, just open spiritual eyes and ears there where he's speaking. Speak through him. God, just minister through them in, that, in this time right now, oh God. We thank you for them. We pray your blessings over them, your protection over them. And God, for everyone here this morning, God, I pray that as we leave out of here that your goodness, your grace would go before us, behind us, all around us, oh God, that we'd recognize it, that we'd see it through this week, God. They will see what you're doing, God. God, help us this week to die to ourselves, our flesh, our wants, and to move into what you're doing and what you have, oh God. So we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.